I've heard said this, uh, I don't need to go to church to believe in God. Is that true? Well, to the extent that it says that your belief and relationship with God is personal and individual, then perhaps it could be said that there is an element of truth in the statement. But if it is intended to say that as a believer, I don't need to fellowship, but can just worship on my own, then it is both wrong and it misses the point. The truth from the Bible uh, I'm going to share with you today is that if I'm a believer, I am indeed part of the church, but also I will seek to fellowship. And I thought today that it might be worth exploring some of those, uh, some of the reasons why I would say that. And uh, just going back to the the statement, I don't need to go to church to believe in God. The reasons why that is wrong uh, can be looked at from a number of levels. First, there's an inherent error when we say or use the phrase, I don't need to go to church, uh, because it misunderstands what is the church. It speaks as if the church is a place. Uh, But of course, we don't need to go to church. The Bible tells me we, collectively, are the church. The New Testament church is not a place of worship. It is the ecclesia. It is the elect. It is the people, including uh, that whole concept of the community of the fellowship that we enjoy. Uh, And I, I think it's really fundamental that we see church as something beyond the place where we worship. Uh, When I was a boy, of course, I had no understanding of any of this. Uh, uh, My parents were not religious. In fact, they were anti-religious and our life was tough. Uh, I remember uh, being a little boy and walking past a big blue stone uh, church on the top of a hill uh, in a Melbourne suburb called St Kilda. And it was this imposing, cold, scary building Uh, And I was told that was a church. Um, I'd never been inside it. I had no desire to go inside it. Uh, I didn't really know what that was. But uh, the concept that built up in my mind was that church was such a place. It was such an edifice. It was such a a statement uh, of people's declaration that this is where you worship God. Uh, And this uh, place was to signify some relationship to God. So if we turn to Ephesians chapter 2, however, and if I can ask you to go there, and we'll pick it up in verse 18, it says this, For through him, that is through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so we see the different concept of the church emerging here. And so that if we were to speak of something that was to be built if we were to uh, contemplate the building blocks uh, of that church, uh, we don't see things made of stone or brick uh, or some other building material. 
Uh, we see, see things made up of people. Uh, we see uh, ourselves as uh, fellow citizens in the household of God. And it's a bit like that also, and don't need to turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, For we are labourers together, or co-workers with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. The second element of why there's a, 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 a misunderstanding within that statement is that a belief in a biblical sense moves beyond an individual experience. Belief is not just what happens in your mind or in your heart or however you wish to describe your, uh, uh, your inner being. Rather, it is uh, closely connected uh, to the meaning of faith. and involves, uh, It involves an attitude of trust that brings an active influence in your life, including in the type of interactions that you seek and enjoy with others. Belief in God is not a mere acknowledgement that God exists. Neither is the full meaning of believing in God captured in an, in an approach that merely shows itself in private worship, in private prayer, or reading the Bible, or going into our closet, or whatever it might be. There's no doubt that those private moments are fundamentally important in our relationship with God. But to limit uh, the experience of believing in God to those private experiences, to those individual aspects of our, uh, our walk in the Lord, is to lose sight of what belief in God is all about. Uh, because belief in God uh, requires us uh, to have an attitude of living a life with others in the world, even though we are not of the world. And thirdly, we need to influence, uh, or rather we need the influence, the comfort, the guidance, the direction, the encouragement of being together with those who are like-minded in Christ. Now what did I say there? I said we need those things. It's not just an option. It's not just something that would be nice to have uh, at times when we are in need. Uh, no, we need it. And, and indeed, if we have an attitude in life that says, I can do it effectively on my own, we are at risk of being influenced by the pride of life that, uh, in a misguided way, will deny the opportunity to be strengthened, to be guided to be comforted, to be encouraged by the Lord's household, by his church. And so we, uh, we, we, we need to guard against uh, an attitude that says, uh, I don't need to go to church to believe in God. Now, I wanted to focus in particular uh, in the third point that I mentioned, right? in the point about uh, the influence, the comfort, the guidance, uh, the direction, uh, the encouragement uh, that the church brings to us. The reality is, even if we put aside the misconceptions of going to a place and, and say, look, I know that, uh, the bottom line is, if you want to come together, you have to actively bring yourself here. The question still remains, why do I have to bother to do that? And what is this influence, this comfort, this guidance, this encouragement, this direction uh, that I in some way need uh, as part of my walk in the Lord? 
Uh, why can't I just uh, you know, accept all of the other things that you say and, and realise that at the end of the day, this is my salvation, I'll work it out with fear and trembling and I'll do it between myself and my God in my own private way. There are a couple of little lessons and it's, uh, sometimes uh, you know, it's good to share a, a personal experience. I came to the Lord on the 5th of December 1976. I was a young 17-year-old, uh, arrogant young lad, and I uh, ultimately, through a series of circumstances, uh, acted upon the word, was baptised and received the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous experience. And indeed, I spoke in tongues uh, after water baptism uh, and it stunned me. Right? It really did. It, it knocked me out a bit. And after, after I'd been baptised, I got dressed and I came out uh, uh, from behind this curtain. It was a big old hall, uh, a theatre in, in, in a suburb of Melbourne. There were a few hundred people there. It was very vibrant and a lot of uh, uh, noise. And uh, as soon as I came out from around the, the curtain, I, had, I was hit by all these people. They came to me right? and they had big smiling faces and they, they shook hands with me. Right? I don't think I'd shaken hands uh, as many times in my whole life. Right? And, uh, and they came and they shook hands and they welcomed me to the fellowship and they, uh, they uh, congratulated congratulated me on uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. And then one person said to me, he said, now uh, that you've uh, uh, received the Holy Spirit, you'll be coming along to the church meetings. And uh, I was a bit of a bold sort of fellow and uh, always spoke my, my, my piece. And, uh, and I reacted to that and I responded immediately and I, and I rejected it. And I, and I said, look, I, I wasn't here. I'm not here to join your church, I said. Right? Uh, even in the face of this overwhelming uh, welcome that I received, uh, it was just too—it uh, was too much for me. It wasn't wasn't what I wanted. Uh, and I said to him, I said, I, I'd only come to test uh, the offer uh, that had been given to me that God would prove Himself. That was all that was important for me. Um, and so I, I was, you know, I rejected this thing. Well, as it happened in the first week, I think I went to five meetings and it, it just overtook me. Uh, and indeed, the, the, the joy that uh, came uh, from uh, how much I could learn uh, from the talks, the testimonies, uh, to, you know, uh, sort of correcting misconceptions and every question that I asked, I was able to see uh, uh, redirected and I got a real taste of the fellowship. And it was uh, uh, a, a, a quite intense experience for me. And uh, within a couple of weeks after receiving the Holy Spirit, I went to a Christmas camp uh, down on the Bellarine Peninsula. And, um, and again, I'd never been in a, uh, an environment so intensely uh, uh, focused in, in the way a Christmas camp is and the fellowship that it gives. And, um, and I, 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 I really enjoyed, again, that intense period. And then I, I planned that after the camp I would go fruit picking because I was going to go to university and I needed some money. Uh, and uh, I, I went up to a farm and I was picking uh, apricots and pears. Uh, I went from this intense uh, month or more of fellowship uh, into a place where there was no fellowship at all. Um, and uh, uh, it, 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 it was obvious uh, that there was a change uh, that had happened in my life. Um, but uh, uh, it also, I found that I regressed a bit. Right? So, for example, a little thing, perhaps, but maybe a big thing, I used to swear a bit right, as a young lad, and that had gone in those few weeks, and I, I found it slipping back. And indeed, uh, one of my school friends came past, and we met at one stage, and uh, I talked, and, and he said, you're swearing again, right? Because and, and, uh, he, he knew that uh, I had to test me because I'd shared it uh, with them. Uh, so I still believed... Uh, but my attitude had changed a bit. My actions were changing a bit. You know, my, uh, the way I uh, presented myself to the world had regressed. 
And I got called back to Melbourne urgently and uh, uh, I went to one meeting and I realised I just had to come back. And I went back to Kyabram, packed my bags and my tent and I came back to Melbourne. And it's a, maybe just a little and a, a, perhaps a personal little uh, uh, anecdote of uh, uh, my experience, but that sort of taught me a lesson quite early that there was something to be gained from being part of this group from being part of the fellowship. And, um, and, and we all have, hopefully, those positive uh, experiences and anecdotes in our own walks in the Lord that reinforce to us, you know, what is our fellowship to us? What does it uh, do for us? Well, uh, let me uh, give you a few propositions and you think about this. The church is a place or an opportunity rather than a physical location uh, to worship together. Right? with the emphasis on the word together. One of the great uh, pidgin English words or top pidgin words is the word for we, uh, which is you, me, right? Uh, you, me, right? And that's uh, a nice descriptive way of what it is that makes us a together group. So in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11 uh, to 14, right? Remember all those chapters there? He gives uh, instruction to the church and on the operation of the spiritual gifts. And he goes into a lot, a lot of detail about what we do in worship when we come together or when we assemble ourselves together. Uh, so, for example, in verse 18 of chapter 11, as he introduces those uh, uh, specific instructions, he says, when you come together in or as the church, and he then goes on to give instructions. In the Amplified Bible, that verse uh, reads, when you assemble as a congregation. Fellowship, number one, is an opportunity to worship together. What else is the church to us? It is a place of spiritual guidance. In a world that is so full of confusion... Uh, and uh, indeed the uh, next best idea uh, is uh, forever being found and promoted to us, the reality is that we need guidance. So in Ephesians chapter 4, if you can turn there with me, verse 11 and pick it up there, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do so? For the perfecting of the saints, it says, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. Edifying is a great word. You see it uh, mentioned often when uh, the Bible talks about the church coming together. And it, uh, you know, the, the, the thing to remember or to think of is an edifice. Right? So it's got that building aspect of things. It's about building something that is strong. And the edifying is what strengthens and builds us up uh, in, in the, as the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Perfection in this context, as the Apostle Paul reminds us elsewhere, is something that we all, all continue to strive toward. Uh, and indeed, we've not uh, attained that perfection, he tells us. And indeed, until that which is perfect is come in Jesus, we will continue to need things uh, that will train us in the way toward that state. 
And if we allow the church to influence our lives, if we allow those that he has given us to teach us and guide us, then we will have an opportunity, as the truth is spoken to us, to grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. The contribution that each of you give to each other is what brings the body together, fitly joined together. And so that each of us, compacted in that way, will uh, uh, deliver that benefit according to the effectual working of the measure of every part. You know, when your body breaks a bit, and mine broke a bit last year, and some parts didn't contribute what they should have done, you know it. You know about it. And that's what it's like in the church. And how can I do that if I separate myself from the church? If I build my fellowship in some private worship state, I can't. What else is the church? Well, the church is a place of joyous fellowship. That's what it ought to be for me. It's what it ought to be for you. It is a place where joy comes. It is a place of fellowship. It is where we associate and come together in a like-minded state with unity. So go to 1 John and chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, of the word of life. For the life was manifested as we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father was ma- and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And in verse 4 he says, These things are right we unto you, that your joy may be full. And that really is the underpinning element that brings that joy of coming together in fellowship together. What else is the church? Well, it's a place of comfort when we need it. Uh, Can I take you uh, to Romans chapter 15? Very well-known verses here in Romans 15 and verse 1. It reads, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbour for his good to edification. There's that word again. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, he says in verse 17, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Uh, We come together in a place that can bring us the comfort that we need. And it's a comfort that is built upon uh, those who themselves have a firm foundation in life and through patience and consolation and however it is that uh, uh, the Lord gives us opportunity to share and help each other, we can comfort one another in fellowship. You don't get that when you're in your closet at home. You need to spend that time in private prayer, but you need to come here and be strengthened and encouraged and comforted uh, by those who will give it to you. What else is the church? Well, the church is a place of discipline if required. And that's clear in the scriptures. And indeed, if you read the first of the letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, uh, you just wonder whether anybody could ever get anything right and why they needed to be slapped so hard. Um, And indeed, why they managed to fall into so many errors in such a, a small space of time. 
There is no doubt that the church at Corinth was filled with spirit-filled people. There is no chance, uh, no doubt that the church at Corinth was filled with faithful and believing Christians. There is no doubt of that. There is no doubt that even though that was the case, they had got themselves off track in a number of respects. And so that the Apostle Paul in chapter 5 had to strongly uh, uh, direct them uh, on immoral conduct that had occurred and was being condoned within the church. So that he had to give them uh, strong advice on marriage and uh, unbelieving spouses in chapter 7. So that uh, he had to instruct them uh, of the need that they had to put into perspective those who observed religious food laws, uh, not to eat food offered to, to idols, and the imperative not to offend the brethren uh, in chapter 8. So all of this direction and guidance as we see illustrated in such uh, such stark terms in the first letter to Corinthians uh, is the type of thing that the church will do and ought to do. It is a place of discipline and direction as required. So the church is at times a place of discipline and guidance, and it needs to be. The church is also an upholder of the faith and the doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, uh, he says to Timothy, but if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. The church has to uphold the truth. It has to know what the truth is, It has to know the doctrine. It has to uphold the doctrine. It has to be that testimony, like that stone that is set up as a pillar, testifying of the word that God has delivered. That is the church. And to that extent, it is the rock that testifies to others of the word that God has given to us in this age. That is the church, and it needs to be so. And when I say the church, not the place, the people. The church finally is a place as I've said on a number of occasions, of edification. It's a place where I want to be because all of us want to be built up and not knocked down. Nobody likes to be broken down physically, emotionally, spiritually. We don't enjoy it and we don't want that. The church is a place to be built up. It's a church where I want to be. So in Romans 14 and verse 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Let's follow after those things, things wherewith one may edify another. I've got to come to church so that I have an opportunity to use the things that I have to edify another, and somebody else has something that will edify me. That's the togetherness that we have in the fellowship. And so in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good words. I always thought it was a really curious word, provoke, to use in this context. Normally when you speak of provoking, it speaks of a a reaction not built on love. It's talking about, he's provoking me to anger. Here, he's using the word to agitate, right? It says here to agitate each other with an attitude of love, to provoke unto love and to good works. Let's uh, get the love element working in our lives. And then he goes on to say in verse 25, 
not forsaking or neglecting. So this is not just talking about 100% cutting off. It's also talking about uh, uh, neglecting the times that when we come together. And sometimes we fall into bad habits. Sometimes we fill our lives with other priorities. Uh, The opportunity is to have our fellowship as a priority in our lives that we don't neglect. Don't forsake or neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Even in that day, that was the manner of some. But what what should we do rather than neglect or forsake the fellowship? We should exhort or warn or urge or encourage one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Lord's coming back, folks. Some people in the world, many people in the world, think he's delayed his coming and uh, maybe it's not going to happen. We have a vision that speaks of his return. We need a fellowship. We need to be part of it. We need not to neglect it. We need to love it. We need to find it as a place of joy and a place that keeps us on the straight and narrow because the world uh, outside of that straight and narrow path is uh, uh, a muddy path that we don't need. And we do have an opportunity and we do rejoice in it in being a fellowship that uh, guides us in such a way.